Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Hey church, these past few weeks we have been unmasking certain deceptions in our lives, traitors, that we think are for us, but in reality, these double agents are actually working against us. At our house, Sarah gets scared really, really easily. And Dex and I have gotten pretty good at deceiving Sarah. I'll put pillows under his covers at night and he'll hide behind his door. And at bedtime, Sarah will go up and want to kiss him goodnight. And she'll walk towards his bed and he'll jump out and scare her and she screams. And Dex and I high five. Uh, and it's great. But recently we've kind of had to up our up our game. And I'll put the pillows in there under the covers and I'll actually be kneeling at Dexie's bedside and saying fake prayers while he's hiding in the closet. I will be saying fake prayers with pillows in order to deceive Sarah, to get her to think that she can see something, but really she's seeing something totally different. And that's, that's how deception works. That's what deception is. You think you're getting something, but you're really getting something else. You, you think you're seeing something, but in reality, you're actually seeing something entirely different. Like right now, you all think that I'm Pastor John the lead pastor of Prodigal Church, but I'm not. This is John. And now that my deception has been revealed, this message will self-destruct in three. Okay, so how many of you thought that that was me? Okay, you can be honest. Uh, I have a twin brother. And um, we're really close. And actually, for the first nine months of our lives, we were roommates together. Um, and whenever somebody finds out that I have a twin brother, they will always ask me two questions. The first question is always, did you guys ever switch classes when you guys were younger? And the answer is yes. Then the second question that follows almost all of the time is, did you guys trick your girlfriends? And switching classes is one thing, but switching girlfriends, like that's sneaky and mean. You know, I mean, we did switch girlfriends, but it was sneaky and mean and hilarious. Um, uh, we are in week three of our Traders sermon series, and each week we've been kind of introing with a story of deception. And Robert Philip Hansen was born in 1944. He earned degrees from Knox College and Northwestern University before joining the FBI in 1976. Three years later, he volunteered to give information to spy for the Soviet military agency. In 1980, after his wife saw him shuffling some uh, suspicious-looking papers, he admitted to selling secrets to the Soviets, but he assured her they were meaningless. During his two decades as a spy, Hansen handed over thousands of pages of classified materials to the Soviets. His downfall came in 2000 when the FBI paid uh, $7 million to an ex-KGB officer to reveal the identity of the mole they had inside the FBI. 
They put Hansen under surveillance in late 2000, and in February 18th of 2001, he was arrested in Vienna, Virginia, after making a drop of classified documents in a plastic garbage bag for a Russian handler to pick up. Nearby, the FBI discovered a, a bag of $50,000 in cash intended as Hansen's payment. When he was arrested, Hansen reportedly exclaimed, What took you so long? Why did Hansen, a church-going father of six, betray his family and his country? Money. And today, for the finale of our Trader series, as we've been unmasking certain deceptions in our lives, religion the first week, social media last week, and this week, it's money. Check out this clip. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Do you think he's right? Does greed work? Does greed clarify? Is it good? How many of you teach greed as a value to your children? And my guess is none of us. And we all intuitively push back when we hear speeches that glorify greed, there's something in us that knows that there's something unhealthy, something dark, even sinister about greed. But how many of us disagree intellectually with the concept of greed, but knowingly or unknowingly participate in the race to get more? How many of us lose sleep because we feel like we don't have enough? How many of us would declare that the version of God that we believe in is that God gives us abundantly and provides for our lives like, and we still feel like we never have enough? And if you don't believe me, just go back to the toilet paper crisis and aisles of March of 2020. Okay? We say God will provide, but we buy as if that may not be the case. And please hear me, I'm not trying to point the finger at you. I'm just trying to say that this is something that is very impossible to escape. The influence of our culture's God of greed influences our lives every day. And the problem with greed is that you can't see greed in the mirror because we don't define it that way, right? When I say uh, greedy, who do you think of? Uh, you think of some guy who's stashed a bunch of gold and money in his basement and he's counting it. Nobody does that. Some woman uh, at home who's surrounded like her bed with jewelry and just all stacked in piles, kind of like Scrooge McDuck. Nobody does that. That's not greed. Greed is the person who has very little, who has a medium amount, or has a whole lot, and, it is, and they assume that it all belongs to them. And that it's all for them. That's what Jesus calls greed. Greed is something that we all struggle with. And as soon as somebody says that you struggle with something, you immediately think of ways in which you do not, right? Or as soon as somebody says that you're not a certain way, you immediately think of a time when you were that way. Guys, tell me if this has ever happened in marriage. Okay, If you're married, at some point in your marriage, maybe multiple times throughout your marriage, your wife will say to you, you just don't help enough around the house. And then what is the first thing that comes to our mind when our wives tell us we don't help around the house? Remember that time in 2014 when I unloaded the dishwasher? Do you not remember the time in November of 2014 where I unloaded the dishwasher? Tell me if you remember it or not, right? We don't help around the house, please. I help around the house. Now we immediately think of the one thing 
that shows that we are the exception. Greed comes naturally to us. Jesus says in Luke 12, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Be on your guard. It's as if Jesus is saying that that there is an aggressiveness to greed. You know what greed feels like? It feels normal. Greed is perhaps the most normal of sins and perhaps the most dangerous. In 20 years of full-time ministry, I've never had someone come up to me and say, you know, I'm really struggling with the sin of greed. Not once. But we all struggle with it. That's what makes this double agent so dangerous because we're convinced that we're the exception. And before we know it, we've been accomplices to a double agent for years. We've hid them from detection. We've allowed them to live inside our house. And we've been influenced for decades, not realizing that money has taken the place of a God. I love how theologian Richard Foster talks about this. He writes, the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It is time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. What's the answer? What's the cure? What's the antidote? The only cure for loosening the grip that money has on our hearts and our lives is to loosen that grip and give it away. There has been so many times that I've learned this lesson the hard way. I've prayed, God, are there other ways for me to learn this lesson? But giving, using our money to bless others instead of ourselves and our families is really the only medicine for greed. As Christians, we're about generosity, not greed. We practice generosity. There was an interesting study done at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. Researchers uh, were there and they told 50 people that they'd be receiving $100 within a few weeks. Half of the people were asked to commit to spending that money on themselves. Before they received it, they, they were told that they had to commit to spending on themselves. Then the other group of people, they were told that they had to commit to spending it on someone other than themselves, someone they knew. And the researchers wanted to see whether simply pledging to be generous with our finances would actually make us happy. So before giving out any money, they brought everyone to a lab and they said, think of the person that you'd like to give to and how much you hypothetically want to give to them. Then they performed a functional MRI scan measuring the brain activity um, associated with social behavior, right? Generosity, happiness, decision-making. And here's what they discovered. Just deciding to be generous in your life was a game changer. These scientists found that when someone makes the mental decision to spend money on others, it led to acting more generously and it lit up parts of the brains associated with happiness, way more than the people who were going to spend the money on themselves. Other studies have shown that practicing generosity leads toward better health, lowers blood pressure. And so today, let's confess to the embassy. Let's turn ourselves in. Let's bring money to the light. And we know this is a very difficult thing to talk about. Um, In the Bible, we are commanded to believe 217 times. We're commanded to pray 371 times. We're commanded to love 714 times. And we're commanded to give 2,152 times.
God knows the pull that money has on our hearts, and that's why the Bible talks about it so often. There's this amazing passage in the book of Acts, chapter 20. It says this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is a really cool verse in lots of ways. Paul is speaking here, and he says, We remember the words of the Lord. Uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's quoted Jesus here. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But here's the thing. If you look through the Bible, if you scan through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you try and find the passage where Jesus actually says this, you won't find it. It's not there. Nowhere in Scripture do we see Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does that mean then? It means that this phrase, it's more blessed to give to receive than to receive, was spoken by Jesus so often, so many times, that it just became common knowledge for his disciples. They didn't need to write it down when, when Jesus said it because he knew everyone already knew it. Giving is better than receiving, and that goes beyond Christmas time. This is true whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little money. Money magnifies us. It reveals our greed. You might say, well, I wasn't greedy when I was poor. Yes, you were, but you just couldn't tell because you were broke. Where we put our money magnifies our priorities. Jesus says elsewhere, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I just want to be clear here. God is not after your money. He's after your heart. It just so happens to be that they're in the same place. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I really believe that that is why the Bible teaches us to give a tenth of our income away. Not because God needs our money, but because God wants us and we want money. This is called the tithe. The tithe is a principle given throughout scripture and a tithe means a tenth. All that we have comes from God and we give back the first percent of that, the first 10% of that, and then we live off the 90%. Christians, in general, are not great at this. I've worked at several churches um, throughout Central Valley, and this seems to hold true across the board. The, the statistics show that the average church in America, only 10 to 25% of their congregation tithes. And on average, Christians give 2.5% to the local church, not um, 10%. And the time where that raised significantly was during the Great Depression, it jumped up to 3.3%. People gave more in times of scarcity. Now, there are lots of reasons why this is the case in most churches, but let's play this out with two fictional people named Mo and Joe. Okay, Mo and Joe go to the same church. They hear the same teachings. They read the same Bible. They pray to the same God. And so Mo has this conversation with God. He says, God, I got to get from point A to point B financially uh, throughout the course of my life. I've got responsibilities, I've got cars to pay off, I have a mortgage, I've got to set aside money for college, I've got to set aside money for retirement, I've got all these requirements, it's hard math, it's a numbers game. I know that what you say about generosity and giving, but I've done the numbers, and I'm going to need 100% of my earnings to get from point A to point B. You understand, right? And now Joe sits in the same church, here's the same teachings, and here's how his conversation with God goes. Hey God, I've got to go from point A to point B financially. And I've got all the things that Moe's got to do as well. All those bills. And I know the math. I've run the numbers. But I'm going to take a step of faith. 
in the truth that you're going to take me from A to B on 90% of my earnings because I'm going to take the first 10% and give it to you. God whispers back to Joe and says, I'm not only going to take you uh, to to point B, but I'll take you to another place, um, point C. And this is a place where we're freed from this consumer mindset um, altogether. And then I'll open doors for you and I'll provide for you in ways that you won't even believe. And you'll have life stories of my supernatural provision to tell you and to tell others, to tell your grandkids about how I always take care of you. Mo and Joe both have these conversations with God. And here's the thing with Mo and Joe. They both think that the other's an idiot, right? Mo says, Joe, come on, bro, run the numbers. You're never going to get to point B on 90%. It's math, not spirituality. And Joe says, come on, bro. Mo, you you really think that you can do this on your own without God's supernatural intervention? You're going to keep running that rat race when God's calling you to get off the treadmill? Two different approaches, each thinking that the other's an idiot. And here's my question for us, prodigal. What kind of idiot do you want to be? Now, this is a sensitive issue. It's a spiritual issue. We never want to guilt you into this. You don't have to give anything to belong here at Prodigal. You don't have to tithe to go to heaven. Uh, This is the fifth time that I've taught on giving in the past three and a half, almost four years. We've had 215 Sundays here at Prodigal Church, and I've, I've talked about giving five times. 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus tells deal with money. That's 42%. If we preached on money as much as Jesus did, we'd be preaching on it 22 times a year. Sarah and I give at least 10% of our income to Prodigal Church. We want to be the most generous people in our church. We're probably not, but we'd like to be. And if you haven't given to Prodigal Church and you're worried that the pastor might think you know, about your finances, might see your finances, don't worry. I won't know that you've never given, okay? And if you've given lots of, to Prodigal Church and you're hoping for some accolades, um, some extra spiritual blessings, I won't know. I see the bottom line. I see where we're doing well. I see what's coming in and what's going out. But Sarah and I made the decision that we don't want to see dollar signs. We want to see families. We want to see people. And so we don't know what you give or what you don't give. But we want to encourage you to take this remedy, this antidote for greed called generosity. We want to encourage you to give to the mission here at Prodigal Church. And we are so grateful for those of you that have given so sacrificially throughout the history and life of our church. Um, The impact that we've been able to make in the lives of countless people here and across the globe is because of you and your generosity, your sacrificial giving. So thank you for getting it. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you in this season when times are weird and times are difficult. You have made such an eternal impact. And if you have never started tithing, would you consider today of making the decision to loosen the grip that money has on our hearts by giving it away? 2 Corinthians 9 says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there is the, the word hilarious. It's where we get the word hilarious. When we give, it should be out of joy, not out of obligation. 
I started the message with a story about my twin brother, and we will finish with a story about my brother. Uh, when we first moved to California, uh, we went to a Fresno State uh, swim camp. I was eight years old, and my brother and I just, we, we got into the, to where the pool was, and we saw this amazing high dive, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. So I started to climb up, and the instructor's like, no, no, that's, that's for later. First, we have to learn all the strokes. The freestyle, the backstroke, the breaststroke, the butterfly. And I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to go off the high dive. So when, when we're practicing the backstroke, I'm just staring at the high dive thinking of how fun it is for me to do a humongous cannonball off it. We had just came from, from Illinois. And in central Illinois, there's not a whole lot of high dives. There's not a whole lot of swimming pools. And so we, I couldn't wait to jump off that high dive. And so day after day, the instructor would tell us, you have to learn, you have to do these before you go off the high dive, before you have fun. I was obligated to do it, to swim those laps. I didn't want to do it, I had to do it. And what you'll discover in life is that nothing great is ever built out of a spirit of obligation. If you have to do something, if you're made to do something, not much will ever come out of it. The only way to get something out of the different strokes of swimming is to be passionate about swimming and swimming faster. I wasn't passionate about this, but you know who was? Someone who looks just like me, my brother. My brother Pete didn't care about the high dive. He wanted to win the race. No matter if it was freestyle or breaststroke or backstroke or butterfly, he didn't have to swim. He got to swim. And you know where that led him? To a scholarship in college for swimming. So he swam in college. And you know what he does now? He coaches swimming at a major university. He didn't have to, he got to. And it led him to a wonderful, amazing life of joy that takes care of him and his family. In life, nothing great is ever built out of the spirit of obligation. The only way prodigal will be a place that is life-giving and not life-draining is to have people who are passionate about making this place all that it can be, to unlock and to unleash all of the potential of Prodigal Church in our community and in our world. If we're going to build a church that's going to reach this community, if we're going to build a church that our kids will want to go to, that our grandkids will want to go to, we're going to have to move from obligation to opportunity. If we want to bear fruit in the future, we must plant seeds in the present. We have to move from I have to give do I want to give? We reject the spirit of obligation. And we search for and long for the discovery of the joy of generosity. And so that's, what we, that's our encouragement today. Would you release the grip that we all have on our own money to get more and to hold on to what we have? And the only cure for that, and it's available for all of us, it's just not free is we have to give it away. We have to loosen our grip and we offer it unto God and we see him provide in supernatural ways and we see him free us from the prison of greed, the prison of consumerism, the prison of always and ever longing for more and we are freed into a life of freedom, contentment, joy, and love.
And as you are watching this online, we know that we have people from all over the world and all over the country who join us each week, whether through iTunes podcast or YouTube, uh, our social media or our app or website. And we are so grateful that you are, too are a part of Prodigal Church. Would you consider giving to the mission of Prodigal Church? This is not just for those who attend our in-person services, but those who also attend our online services. If we've made a difference in your life, would you consider giving to Prodigal um, to see your gift multiplied to make a difference for the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to live a life of generosity, that we would um, be very suspicious of the traitor of greed, and that somehow we can turn money, this double agent, into to, um, an asset where we are a blessing. So God, forgive us for the ways in which we have always longed in, to acquire for more for ourselves, and help us to let love permeate all of our lives, even our bank accounts. We need your help in this, Jesus. So Jesus, instill in us a spirit of self-sacrifice, of generosity, of love that uses our finances to be a blessing to others, not just to those that we love and care about. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, Prodigal Church turns four years old, and it's going to be an incredible weekend together. And so if you have not attended our in-person services, um, or if you were a part of Prodigal Church over the past, but you've since found a, a new community of faith, uh, we would just love to see you uh, as you are a part of our story. And so we're going to have some food trucks, and we're going to have some new merch, and we're going to have some inflatables and obstacle course for the kids. And we're going to celebrate all that God has done in and through our church these past four years. And so would you consider joining us at 10 a.m. in person next week or online? We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in the Middle East.